0: Good afternoon, this is John Richardson speaking with you from Toronto Canada. Today is Tuesday, December the 5th, 2023, better known as more US versus more day. And I have the opportunity, the great privilege and pleasure of speaking with Laura Snyder who was in person at the Moore hearing in the courtroom observing all that was going on so this is a wonderful opportunity to get a true insider's view of more versus the united states laura how are you
1: hi john i'm pretty tired after that
0: was it exhausting being in there
1: it was very exhausting
0: are you glad you went
1: i'm glad i did it once yeah
0: you, you wouldn't you wouldn't go back to hear more part two? No. And how long did you have to stand in line to get in?
1: Oh, I was in line for about four hours. Oh, my God.
0: That's incredible. And at the end of the day, though, you're telling me that there were actually excess seats for members of the bar.
1: Yeah, they so they had three different types of people that are admitted uh, in addition to the press. Um, they have members of the general public, they have people who are special invitees, and then they have members of the Supreme Court Bar. And since I was a member of the Supreme Court Bar, I could go in with that group. Um, and there's a designated number of seats reserved for them. Um, those seats were almost full, but not totally full. The public seats were full.
0: Okay, so you waited for four hours to get in, and then then you were in there for a while, and then there was a two-hour hearing. So, wow, well, that's a full day of work, isn't
1: it? It was It was a lot. I mean, we waited outside for about two and a half hours and then inside for about an hour and a half. You have to go through security twice immediately when you go in the building. And then you and there are certain things you can't take in the room with you. And so you have to put stuff in a locker. And then you got to go through security again right before you can actually get into the room.
0: Oh, man, that is just so much work.
1: I mean, I found it
0: exhausting just listening to the thing, uh, you know, through the audio feed, but, um, you know, I was able to just kind of turn it on and I didn't have the four hour wait or anything like that. So I commend you for having done that. I think that's, that's really good. Um, Was that the first time you'd ever been to a Supreme court hearing?
1: Oh yeah, definitely.
0: Okay. And uh, just generally, uh, well, what did it feel like to be in there and
1: everything? Hmm. It felt like being in church. Pre pre uh cell phone. You know, sitting is like sitting in pews, although we were sitting in chairs, but like sitting in pews and it's very quiet. Um and if anybody started speaking too loudly, they were shushed. Um and you just sit and wait in silence, waiting for the for the most important people to come into the room, but mm-hmm. yeah, it made me think about when I being in church when I was a kid, because um, you know we weren't allowed to have any any recording devices, so no phones in the room. So all you could do was just sit, mm-hmm. and you couldn't get up and go to the restroom. That was you couldn't. Yeah, you, know, you were in, you were in. If you left, you didn't come back.
0: That's interesting. Yeah. What was the general? What What feeling did you get from so, there would have been how many uh, spectators in there, roughly in total?
1: Oh, boy. Well, there you're asking me to guess because I would have to. We weren't we're, the way we were seated, we didn't have a lot of space. So, it was quite difficult for me to actually turn around. It would have meant, you know, bothering my neighbors. And so, the general public was behind me. You know, probably somebody else would know better than me what the capacity is back there. But, um, oh, gosh. I don't, at least 100. Honestly, that's just a wild guess. Probably a lot more than 100 even. Wow. Um, There were six rows. I could be wrong. There were six rows. I counted six rows of the public. There must have been 10 to 15 people per row. So I guess you do the math. And then there would have been um, maybe another 50 or 60, 70 chairs for the for the council and the um, for the uh, members of the bar, Supreme Court bar and the invitees. But, you know, I could be wrong.
0: Those Mm -hmm. are just
1: very rough estimations.
0: And did you have any sense of the general mood uh, and that? I mean, what people were anticipating or.
1: Uh, Well, in the room, you you weren't supposed to talk. So in the room is just hushed. Speaking to members of the Supreme Court bar, when we were waiting in line, you had a bit of, of everything. Um, you know, there were some people that work for large multinationals, not that their companies were specifically interested, had any particular interest in this case, but they were interested. They were tax lawyers and they were interested. Um, some people from think think tanks. And I think you had people on both sides. Some people who thought, you know, who are who are who would want a decision in favor of more, and then others who would want a decision in favor of the government. Kind of both sides. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, it you know it's definitely been a polarizing case. I think it's impossible for anybody who knows anything at all about these issues to be neutral on it. Uh, that is for sure. And you know, you of course know my views on how consequential this case actually is in so many
1: ways. Certainly has the potential to be.
0: Oh God, absolutely. All right, so they started, I guess what five or ten minutes late, is that right?
1: Oh no, oh no, no, no. well, I don't know, according to your clock. Now the only clock we had was the clock in the in the room. and there's a great, well, not there's a big old, tiny clock with Roman numerals, you know, way up high, um, you know at the front and center. And, the, and it has, you know, a minute hand, an hour hand, and a second hand. And the second the second hand hit 10 o'clock, everything started. We had to stand up and the justices walked in. So I don't know what time your time pieces told you it was, but that clock in the courtroom, we started exactly on time. <laughs>
0: wow, well, that's, that's, that's amazing. Okay, and the case was called right away. Um, now, so the more no,
1: no, it wasn't. It wasn't called right away. Maybe that's why you think it started late because there were things that happened before that. Um, one thing had some sort of other case that they talked about very briefly. I didn't follow what it was about, but it was very clearly not about more. And then they had then they some they did the um, oaths for the new members of the Supreme Court bar. And then they started the more case. So if you're if you didn't maybe that's why you're thinking it started late, because maybe you, what was being broadcast to you just started there.
0: Well that, that, that would be explaining like, for sure. Because I had the impression it started somewhere between five and ten minutes after 10.
1: Yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, the, the more discussion started, yes, between five and ten minutes after 10. That'd be right.
0: Okay. So the Moore's lawyer, Mr. Grossman, basically is called, says his piece relatively briefly. And then, of course, the questioning started. Now, uh, just for anybody who's listening to this, if you could just begin by briefly uh, reminding people what what the issue was here. What was this case about? Uh, You know, very much a Reader's Digest version.
1: Well, John, you're going to be able to explain this better than me. But essentially, the question is: Can um, can the shareholders of a, a controlled foreign corporation uh, be taxed on the basis of the retained earnings of the foreign corporation? Or put it uh, now,
0: if the shareholders never received a dividend, could they be taxed on their share of the profits?
1: Right, and and so the whole discussion—well, quite a bit of the discussion was around can you be taxed on income that was not realized to you and you know there's a lot of discussion of okay does that mean you're when you do that you know so, did somebody realize it it was the it was the company and then are you um oh well, i forgot the terminology they had they were using different terminology either you're attributing the income to the shareholder or it's constructive uh constructive, receipt. constructive
0: receipt or a constructive dividend
1: yeah constructive I think they use the term constructive realization, but I, all the same thing. Constructive yeah. something,
0: yeah. In other in other words, you know, they're they're deeming you to have received it even though you didn't, just with different language. Okay. So my impression, and I was of course just listening and I couldn't see it. And you know, I mean I would have been fascinating to have seen it. But um my impression of it was that there was either agreement or acceptance. Well, without opposition, uh, as a finding of fact, that there was realization, at least to at least to the foreign corporation, right? I didn't. I don't remember any issue of whether there was actually realization of the corporation. Is that? Yeah. That, is that yeah. Accurate? No,
1: they did discuss that. They there was basic agreement. Yes, that the for that there was realization by the foreign corporation. Yes.
0: Okay. So. Because of that, it seemed to me the discussion shifted rather quickly to, uh, given that there was realization by the corporation, uh, how or why should that justify uh, the Moors being taxed on that, right? Is that a fair statement? Yes. Okay. Um, Well, what was your impression of what was going on? I mean, which judges were most active in questioning the Moore's lawyer, Mr. Grossman, and what were the, you know, basically the questions that they were asking. What were their concerns?
1: Oh boy, it was pretty detailed and I couldn't always hear or understand everything. Well let's just try to um, identify
0: some broad categories. Yeah. Here, let me let me open up with this. Um I mean you know you know certainly being a, a more I'll call you a more scholar okay you know you know that a lot of the anarchist briefs um, you know you know focus on on the history of the 16th amendment right and what were they trying to do and what was the intention uh, of the 16th amendment at the time right Would yeah you agree with that
1: yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I would say, I'm looking at my notes here. The people, Thomas Thomas asked the first question. Then you didn't hear much from him again for a while. Roberts also asked a question, didn't hear again from him for a while. Then you had Sotomayor um, and Amy Comey Barrett talking quite a bit with Kagan coming in at a certain point and then Kavanaugh coming in at a certain point. Um, And the first question was Thomas asking, uh, define realization, and then Roberts asking for clarification. The the corporation actually did have income, didn't it? Um, and then and then they got into a discussion about, you know, we we pass through partnerships, so why not here? Uh, what about subpart F? Are you are you suggesting that all of subpart F needs to go? Um, okay, yeah, has-
0: yeah, that's sort of my memory of it as well. Um- What would you, I mean, can you comment a little bit on uh, Mr. Grossman's responses to that kind of stuff? I mean, what, what was his, you know, theory of the case? So nobody's disputing that there was realization, at least as per the corporation, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's right.
0: Okay, so what then was the issue if you have realization if you have realization wasn't part of the discussion why are we here then essentially although they didn't use that language there was realization
1: well because because you're taxing the people who didn't actually realize that's why
0: okay so the question becomes then um, isn't something more than realization somewhere required don't you need for the taxpayer to have realization. Is that correct?
1: Yes. Well, yes and no. I mean, I think they would come back and say, well, if you're talking about constructive realization or attribution, then, then you've, you've got, you've got realization that way. I mean, depends on how you want to talk about it, I guess. Well,
0: you can have actual realization, which there wasn't or you can have a uh, deemed realization because of the, uh, the circumstances under which the taxpayer relates to the corporation, right?
1: Okay.
0: I mean, wasn't that sort of what they were t- trying to talk around a lot of the time? And how is this different from a partnership? I remember one of them asked specifically about just that. How's it different from partnership?
1: Yeah. Yes, yes, there was talk about that.
0: Yeah. What was your impression of that general part of the hearing?
1: I I was focused on if and when anyone was going to ever talk about individuals, let alone overseas Americans. Um, otherwise, you know... To a certain extent, you know, it's kind of rehashing what was already in the briefs, which I found of limited, you know.
0: Right. It's
1: very, yeah. So um, my memory
0: is that there was no point in the questioning Mr. Grossman where, where individuals became part of the discussion. I don't
1: remember. I don't even know that the word individual was even uttered, to be honest. I mean, if it was, I didn't hear it. I I couldn't hear everything. It's not like the sound was extra good in the room. Um, But if the word was individual, was at any point uttered, I did not hear it. And certainly there was no discussion. There was no discussion about how this affects individuals and certainly no discussion about uh, overseas Americans. Not not a nod to that. Not even an allusion to it.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: and also, that was that was the most disappointing thing for me. The other thing that was quite disappointing for me was this assumption. This was the, the government lawyer. Um, this assumption that if an American creates a company overseas, then necessarily it, it's uh, it's an opportunity for tax evasion. And that's why we have to look at them and treat them very carefully. And to me, that was an outrageous thing to say, and no one challenged that. I think maybe when Grossman did his rebuttal, he might have suggested that that wasn't a good thing. I'm—I think I got the impression that he did, but no. But none of the none of the justices challenged that. And if Grossman did challenge it, he certainly didn't do it forcefully enough. I don't. Why would he? I don't think he cares. But but to me, it was just outrageous to say these things. It was much like why didn't... Saying, uh, you know, a few months ago that dual citizenship offers opportunities for tax evasion. Say, so, yeah. oh, okay, you create a foreign company, and suddenly, you know, your your motive for doing that must be to to avoid U.S. taxes. You couldn't possibly have highly legitimate reasons to do it, if not being completely compelled by your jurisdiction where you live to do that, to carry out the activities you want to carry out.
0: Well that wasn't that Justice Kagan who was doing that primarily that the first Obama appointee, Justice Kagan.
1: Well, I first realized I first heard the government lawyer say that. Um and my point is no one challenged her on it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that was that was very, very, very uncomfortable and a definite reminder uh that. You know, these people simply don't know anything about Americans abroad and don't care about knowing anything.
1: they, They first and foremost do not care, John. I think they do not care far more than they know. And I think there are justices that definitely know. Gorsuch definitely knows. He was the most disappointing because he definitely knows and nothing, nothing from him.
0: Well, nothing so far. I mean, maybe something will work its way into a decision. But, yeah, I mean, in the Bidner case, uh, it was Justices Gorsuch and Jackson, right, who I think in their separate decision acknowledged the issue of Americans abroad and green card holders, et cetera. And it is, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I think it's very, very disappointing, Uh that none of this was mentioned. I mean, earlier on in the discussion with Anthony, you know, we got in a discussion of what to look for. And, you know, my suggestion was that one of the most important things to look for, if not the most important, was any discussion of individuals. And
1: Yeah, of course. Yes, you know, my ahead.
0: impression of the hearing today was that there was, uh, the, e- even if there was... A minor acknowledgement of individuals, but there clearly was not was any recognition or discussion of the difference between how the how the tax affected multinationals and how it affected individuals. Right?
1: Absolutely no discussion of that. Uh, that I wonder if they were aware. They should be, though.
0: Well, they should be based based on the C brief and the uh, the Suzanne Herman brief. I know it's. I know it was. Mm-hmm. Consolidation or collage of briefs of individuals, but I think of it as the Suzanne brief.
1: <laughs> Winston uh, and Strong brief, yeah. Winston
0: Strong, yeah, okay. Uh, but I mean, clearly, I mean, ours was more, I think, theoretical, but the Winston Strong brief really, uh, you know, made the uh, individual circumstances of this stuff pretty clear if anybody took the time to read it. So that was you know, by far the most disappointing aspect of it from my point of view, and obviously from your point of view, it's no discussion of individuals. Um, what did you think? I had the feeling um in the first part of it, when Mr. Grossman was up, that they were trying to open the door on the on the due process issues, you know, the retroactivity and the, the attribution of the income. And I... My impression was that he didn't bite at all. You know, he no, was-
1: the, judges, the judges the justices are the ones who who kept bringing that up. Grossman didn't seem that interested in that argument.
0: Now what what's your take on that? Because I find that you know it seems to me right that you know, Mr. Grossman is repeatedly asked, okay, I mean you you know you're not challenging subpart F, assuming that's so. You're not challenging, you know, any of these pass-through rules, assuming that's so. What is it that makes this tax different? And I would have thought the obvious answer is, well, this one's retroactive. You know, yeah. the other ones are, right? I mean, it would have been the simplest answer. The most simplest Grossman answer. Had,
1: it's quite clear that Grossman had an agenda around the wealth tax, and nothing else mattered.
0: Mm-hmm. And how did? But I mean, how did he further the, that agenda? I mean, it, it's not even clear to me how he did that. Really, Not me. Well, I mean, he got me. you make the retroactivity argument, though, the district court and the circuit court, right? You know, they lost. Uh, I don't think it was well developed. They lost in both courts, but it wasn't as though. You know the retroactivity issue wasn't part of it from the beginning,
1: John. I don't have any answers,
0: but but you observed that.
1: Well, my memory is it was the justices who brought up retroactivity, and and several of them did, in fact, um, uh, as if as if they were searching for a way to find in favor of the Moors without some larger decision with you know more impactful decision that was the impression i got i don't know if that was yours
0: well i i think it was and i think it's entirely reasonable because you know after listening for months about you know these tech academics shrieking about how oh my god this is gonna up into our tax system our beloved tax system
1: our beloved fake
0: income you know, I mean, I think it'd be very easy and credible for the court just to say, well, you know, no, not at all, because this is, this is a tax going back in the past. It's a retroactive tax. And, uh, you know, for that reason, we don't think it's realization, but, you know, we'll use the uh, special provisions that corporations attract to uphold this tax for corporations and invalidate it for individuals, I mean, it seems to me that that would have threaded the needle, but maybe you're right. Maybe the point is that that's specifically what, uh, you know, what Mr. Grossman maybe didn't want. I don't know.
1: Is it, and I wasn't sure I heard this correctly. Did you catch at some point, it was either, I think it was Kagan. It might've been Sotomayor, one of the two. I I thought that they said, but again, because the sound wasn't great, I wasn't 100% sure I heard correctly, but I thought that one of them said, well, as you can tell, none of the justices are happy with either side here.
0: That was Sotomayor at the end.
1: So, Okay, so I wasn't making that. Okay, so I did hear that. That okay. no, was
0: Justice Sotomayor at the end, that's right.
1: I wasn't I sure mean, what to that, make. That it,
0: that's that. what was said, I agree. What what she meant by that, uh, I don't think it is clear as all that though, because I, that was restricted to, a de- some kind. I think a definitional thing, right? You know, not the, not the overall issue, but I do remember that. Yeah. Okay, okay. so so we agree that at least in the first part vis a vis Mr. Grossman that at least one or two of the judges uh, was beginning to probe the due process considerations, the retroactivity and the attribution stuff, right?
1: I think that was raised with both of them. I seem to recall it being raised with both of them.
0: Okay. Well, let's shift over to um, the solicitor general. Um, What was your impression of uh, her arguments, performance, uh, you know, Did she do a good job?
1: She did a job. I don't know. I don't really have anything to say that was great or terrible. Um, It was probably better than Grossman's. Um, She said very little.
0: She said very, very little. Um,
1: Yeah, she was a very short presentation, yeah.
0: I mean, at the risk of oversimplification, I think all she said was, look, uh, there is realization. You know, the income was realized at and Craft. You know, the Sixteenth Amendment says income from many sources. Uh, what's what's the problem here, right? Wasn't that the wasn't yeah. that what she
1: said? Yeah, and I guess if you put it that way, she's probably in her mind. She's thinking, what else do I do? I need to say.
0: Well, uh, you know, or I mean, that may be right, or it may be. Um, well, I mean, you know, she's not trying to give the decision overturned, but I mean, it may well have been. Why risk getting into anything beyond that that you know might be so specific that I that I might be wrong or there could be more misinterpretation?
1: Mm. Yeah, yeah,
0: you know, but I mean, she said very very little. Um, you know, I my impression of it was that uh, you know the government's view was that there are no limitations on taxation.
1: Yeah, well, the, there were a couple justices, at least, who kept asking her, what are the limits? And she never really answered that question that I could tell.
0: I think that's right. I mean, that was a Gorsuch, and I mean, who were the, was it Alito?
1: I think it might have been Alito.
0: I think it was, too. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's an incredibly serious problem. I mean, are, are we headed for a Supreme Court decision that says, uh, well, uh, you know, we wouldn't go around publicizing this, but since you brought the case, we've really got to say that, you know, the U.S. is about taxation and there are no limitations on U.S. taxation.
1: I'm sure that there's at least a couple justices who'd love to have that decision. I don't know if they'd go that far, but yeah.
0: Oh, I'm sure that I'm sure that some of the nine who are there today would embrace that completely. Yeah. Yeah. So, what? What you? What were your impression um, of the interaction between the solicitor general and the justices? You know, how is it the same, different, as with Mister Grossman? I, I felt
1: that character. it was much
0: more specific. But you know,
1: yeah.
0: At least that you know that was my impression. Particularly, uh, am I, am I right? You know, you were there, I wasn't, but I do not recall Justice Gorsha saying anything in the first part of it to Mr. Grossman. Am I right on that or wrong on that?
1: I think, I think in my notes, I think he did. Um, Or was he? No, he did. At the end, he did. Because I'm looking at my notes and I see, yeah, at the end of the questioning with Gorsuch, with Grossman, Gorsuch did ask some questions. Yeah.
0: Your notes reveal what the questions were?
1: Um, He, he asked, could this be an excise tax? He said, do we have to draw a line for how far back we can go? And then he said, I'm trying to understand my notes here. <laughs> Does the 16th Amendment doesn't, the income was realized by the corporation. The 16th Amendment doesn't prevent attribution. What's your response to that? That was a question he asked Grossman. Sorry, can you repeat that? He asked Grossman, he said, the income was realized by the corporation. The 16th Amendment does not prevent attribution of income. Your response.
0: Yeah, you're right on that. I remember that very clearly now. And his response was,
1: "I did not note down his response. Do you remember it, John?
0: I don't, but I I remember thinking it wasn't a very good response. But I mean, it's certainly easy to be an armchair quarterback, isn't it? Um, okay." I mean, I had the feeling when it shifted over to the solicitor general, I mean, certainly Gorsuch was far more engaged, right?
1: Uh, yes, for sure, yes. Yeah. Gorsuch is definitely more engaged, as were Roberts and Alito.
0: What do you think they were trying to do?
1: Gorsuch, I don't know. Because he, he, you know, he asked questions that kind of could go either way. Um I don't know. What I mean
0: Well I I my feeling on him was that I I think that he did have an interest in, you know, what Was today defined as the due process considerations, the retroactivity and what would be the rules, you know, the principles, if you will, for when it's permissible to attribute income from an entity to, you know, uh, somebody else, right? Yeah. Uh, He certainly was working that aspect of it. Um, And, you know, it was a very interesting discussion because um, where I felt the back and forth was going was sort of, well you know realization was a clear sufficient condition but it wasn't necessary and what would be the boundaries on on necessary right uh, you know what what would be the minimal standards for being able to attribute this income and what i thought was interesting also was you know this whole idea right of a 10% shareholder being a us shareholder um you know, in many cases, uh that's not gonna put anybody in in a in a decision-making capacity, right?
1: Yeah, well, that's where they went further than that. They said you just needed to have some sort of um relationships, not the word they used, but some sort well, of that was the idea.
0: That was the idea, yeah. some sort of relationship without wanting to define what it was. But the clear implication was that there is no bar to attributing income to somebody else uh, based on a very, very low rational basis standard.
1: Yeah, I, if I'd been if I'd been one of the justices, I would have said, "Well, you know, what if my brother makes some money? Can you attribute that to me?" It, oh, I oh,
0: I it already does in certain circumstances, Laura. Check section three eighteen of the Internal Revenue Code.
1: If my brother has some income, I can be taxed on my brother's income.
0: Let me tell my you. cousin. One. How
1: about my cousin?
0: Oh, let me pull it up. I mean, you know, these aren't the attribution rules for all purposes, but to give you a sense of. Uh, how
1: about my neighbor? How about my next door neighbor?
0: Depends on court. I don't know. It's really interesting because they're different, they're literally different rules for different sets, you know, different sets of factual circumstances. But section 318 of the Internal Revenue Code is titled Constructive Ownership of, of, of Stock. And I'll tell you what it says exactly, okay? Um, members of family, an individual should be considered as owning the stock owned directly or indirectly by or for spouse, children grandparents and parents right so it's sort of vertical attribution right mm-hmm. um not lateral if by that we mean your brother or something like that you know so that that's some kind of a policy decision isn't it yeah
1: yeah i guess but yeah i don't know i you know It it was a shame. The whole thing was a shame. It was, I don't know what else to say. It's, it's not.
0: You were disappointed and you were disappointed. Why?
1: Well, for multiple reasons, I think the primary reason is because individuals, there was no discussion of individuals, not even as the Moors uh, as individuals. Yeah. Yeah. And, and let alone overseas Americans, absolutely no discussion of that at all. Um, we were, in fact, deliberately excluded when you know the 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 government, the woman from the government, you know, said directly. Well, she alluded to the fact that it's there's more multi that that the, it's multinationals who are overwhelmingly affected by this, which is not true. If you're looking at the numbers, it the numbers are are. Overseas Americans are the ones most affected by the, the, absolutely. the
0: absolutely no yeah. question about it.
1: And then and then later they she said well 99% of the tax revenue from this tax came from multinationals. She is deliberately deliberately when she says that excluding from consideration and downplaying the experience of the individual and the experience of the overseas american basically saying they don't matter.
0: I think, you know, Laura, I think of that exactly right. And before the hearing this morning, I was thinking about it, and I really saw it as a referendum on whether the individual even matters in America. And I think that, you know, this hearing this morning is a specific instance of what has become the governing principle that the individual doesn't matter. And we see this in the political process. You know, everywhere it's as though the whole damn country is set up, you know, for the benefit of the corporations.
1: Everybody else is just invisible.
0: Well, other than to other than to tax, right? To fund,
1: you know. Yes, other than to tax and to be accused of of uh, assumed the for the overseas American, other than the assumption that they are engaging in tax evasion. Why? Because they have dual citizenship, or because they create a company in the country where they live. The assumption is they are engaging. In tax evasion.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. And you know, and it's very difficult to go through life, uh, you know, living under conditions that reflect that presumption. You know, I think that the, you know, one could view the hearing today as not a bad an argument for considering a second citizenship and renunciation. Well, the, the individuals individual yeah. were so horribly, horribly affected by this. Yeah, I mean, there was there was no, there was not even one minute in the hearing where anybody made the point that, you know, it was kind of a sweet deal for the multinationals, but it destroyed the individuals.
1: No, that doesn't matter. No, but nobody cares, John. It's not that they don't know. It's that they do not care.
0: Do
1: they that they don't care? Well, I'm sure they don't care that they don't care also. In fact, I'm sure of that, yes. Um, you know, John, I mean, you're right that if you're living overseas, having a second citizenship is better than not having one. Um, of course, you know, I I don't believe in telling people to renounce. I think we need to fight. I, I think, think we need, need to
0: fight absolutely, but I think that people need to renounce too. It's so citizenship, dangerous.
1: Citizenship is a human right. It and is. We shouldn't be giving it up. Uh,
0: you know, I agree with you, but I mean, at a certain point, I think it's gotten too dangerous to be an American. The biggest threat to Americans is the U.S. government. It's just that it's more. It's just that it's more visible in the case of overseas Americans
1: the laws apply to us the penalizing laws apply to us the protections that should come with those laws do not apply to us and and that's the reason why it's very dangerous
0: yeah well laura you know i i share your general sentiment about the about the hearing today um, you know i was i was obviously disappointed uh, and for many of the same reasons that you are But what surprised me was I was expecting that, you know, the lawyers would be much better prepared than the judges, but I would have to say that I thought the judges were far better prepared than the lawyers today.
1: Yes. Yeah. And I think that's particularly disappointing with Grossman, Um, you know, for a government lawyer, you know, whatever, maybe you could have any expectation of that, but for someone who's in there representing a private party they should have been on top of it one hundred percent, and they weren't.
0: That's an interesting question. Uh, I mean, it may it may be not that he wasn't on top of it, but that the particular that his particular agenda was just you know not it's
1: too limited. Yeah, you know, that's fair.
0: You know, the problem is. That There was realization somewhere, okay? So the issue is not so much does income require realization. It's, you know, does does it require, it's what's the test for realization to this particular taxpayer, right? Which I think, which is, I think, what Gorsh was trying to get at. But anyway, it's done and dusted, as they say and well, we'll
1: wait for the opinion.
0: Uh, i don't want to put you too too much on the spot but uh would you care to give a bit of a prediction here
1: <laughs> the so. only prediction i'm willing to give is that okay i i i'm less optimistic about a decision in favor of the moors than i was before the hearing i'm not optimistic about that at all and the only two justices i am sure would would probably dissent in favor of the Moors are Roberts and Alito. The others it's a toss. Well, um, Sotomayor and Kagan definitely will decide in favor of the Moors. Probably also Jackson and Barrett, and the others it's a toss up, like Kavanaugh and uh, Gorsuch. Well, you we've
0: know, identified uh, four women and uh, Alito and Roberts, so that leaves Thomas. Cavanaugh and Gorsuch. You know, I mean, let's focus on those three. What was your impression of those three, Thomas, Kavanaugh, and Gorsuch? Uh,
1: Thomas was not all that engaged, even though he asked the very first question. He overall was not all that engaged, or at least by his body language, he didn't appear to be, and he didn't speak that much. Although I'm My understanding is he usually doesn't speak that much. Um, I think Kavanaugh was interested. I don't know if he was especially engaged, but he was interested. And basically, in his body language, he seemed to always be alert and listening to what was going on. Gorsuch also. Gorsuch seems to have spent a lot of time studying this. Alito also. Um, But I don't know, honestly it's you know uh you know it would be easy to say oh they'll join roberts and uh and alito but it's not obvious from from what they said today that they would it's not obvious you have
0: the questioning today and the general discussion sort of created the possibility the predicate if you will for some kind of a ruling that you know, because this is a corporation, it's an excise tax, but as per individuals or a minority shareholders or something, uh, there isn't realization to the individual taxpayer. I, mean. I,
1: I don't know. I don't know. Your guess is good as mine.
0: Well, it's not because I wasn't there. You could read the judges. That's You know, that's why. Uh, I don't know.
1: I don't know. I don't know. There's nothing I saw that would. Give me a suggestion on that either way.
0: Okay. Well, Laura, thank you very much for this conversation. And thank you especially for braving the elements, fighting your way in single-handedly into the courtroom.
1: There were some there were some tricky moments, but I got through them.
0: <laughs> and you, you prevailed, you prevailed in your journey sort of like a salmon going upstream once a year.
1: Yep. All right, John. Thank you. All right. Great discussion. Thank you, Laura.